Good morning, everybody. Uh, wow, um, this is just an honor um, to be able to get up here and, and speak to you all. Um, if you didn't get a chance to hear uh, Aaron, and for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hayden Huckabee, and I am one of the elders here. Um, and I'm also a co-leader of a gospel community with Alex Beasley. So uh, there's some people I want to thank just uh, before I get started. I definitely want to thank the elders uh, for this opportunity. They have been so encouraging, and they've um, prayed with me, and they've prayed for me. And so I'm just so thankful. As a matter of fact, uh, Chuck uh, has sent me uh, grace-filled words all week through text, and uh, sometimes twice a day, and, and those were so very well-received and very appreciated. Um, I, I definitely want to just take a moment to tell Chad how much I appreciate you. Um, he's the one that came to me with this opportunity, and I just want to stop and say I'm dearly grateful for you. When I think of uh, you, I think of um, the words, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, and so your words are saturated with, saturated with grace, and they are nourishment to our souls. So, um, so I'm just going to sort of be transparent and try to be uh, this, this morning and let everybody know my hardest part with what I was going to do today is actually what I'm doing right now. <laughs> sort of like, you know, that train that just sort of gets going real slow. Uh, but I, I think I wanted to be funny or something, or maybe I wanted to say something deeply theological. I, I don't know, but I struggled with this introduction getting going. Uh, but, but my wife, who I definitely want to thank as well, gave me some very wise counsel. Uh, she, she used words that I've actually used to her. We have a, y'all probably heard of it, and, I, and y'all may think, that's interesting, wise counsel. But has anybody heard of the acronym KISS? Okay, so I'm not going to say what all those words mean necessarily, but I'll just say this. It just means keep it simple. <laughs> and so those were, those were very helpful words to me as I got started. And so, you know, when I started to say, okay, what I'm going to talk about today, how has it impacted me? You know, what in my life, what has, what is, uh, what is God, who has God brought to my life in order to give me grace-filled words? And, and so I've already spoke about the elders. I t- spoke about Chuck. Um, Alex Beasley, as a matter of fact, sent me a text yesterday. He was super encouraging, and I've mentioned my wife. Um, but I'm going to go a little bit farther um, down the line. And for those of you who know me and those of you who've been in a small group with me, have heard me tell this story. About four years ago, we had uh, Ray Ortland come to our church. And um, if you don't know who Ray Ortland is, um, uh, just suffice it to say, he, he knows a lot about the gospel, but uh, he was here to do a marriage conference, and uh, he spoke about his wife. He spoke about their marriage, and although it was far from perfect, uh, he talked about how full it was with grace-filled words and forgiveness. And he said that his wife modeled the love of God to him, and he called it, <clears throat> she gives me an unaccused existence. And, um, man, God used those words right there in that moment. <laughs> they were very timely for me. Um, uh, maybe it was something that was going on and I, uh, in my life. Um, but that revolutionized the way I wanted to be a husband and a father and a friend. Um, 
and a son. <laughs> and uh, so that was pretty amazing. So I think, uh, how does that happen, though, right? Uh, how does that happen? Because we all know how hard relationships are. They're hurtful, and they can be painful. Um, and I think if we're all honest, uh, our approach in relationships is a lot like this. Um, I think I'm going to wait and see how they treat me first, <laughs> right? I mean, that's sort of how we go about uh, relationships. But what was different about uh, Miss Ortland? I don't know this person, never met her. I'm sure she's a very nice lady. But what we're going to talk about today is, is far greater than just a, a, a sweet disposition. Um, it's, it's, it's something far greater than that. And so what I'm willing to, to bet is that um, what allowed her to give this gift to her husband is that she knew deeply that she needed those same things herself. Um, no one gives grace better and, gives, and is, offers forgiveness than the one who deeply knows they need it themselves. Um, and, and doesn't that radically change the way that we talk to people? Um, how many of y'all have ever said this prayer? Um, I know I have. Holly and I talked about it one time. Um, God, help me love that person the way that you love them. We've, we've, we've said that prayer, right? And it sounds good. I'm not saying it's a bad prayer. But what, 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 what I'm saying today is, is that our posture changes and everything changes when we say, God, help me love that person the way you love me. That, that, that's the game changer right there. So, um, so, uh, so really my goal is today is to convey um, how the gift of grace and forgiveness, um, how that is a gift that we get to give to somebody else. Um, and so really, in a way, that's sort of what Ephesians 4 is about. It's about unity. It's about what's taking, what's personal about the gospel and then showing us how that takes our eyes off ourselves so that then we can be who we are called to be with one another. So that's my introduction. And uh, I, if everybody would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a, a, a black Bible in front of you, um, and it's on page 978, Ephesians 4. We're going to wrap up Ephesians this morning. Verse 29 through 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and glamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of God. Please have a seat. Bow your your heads while I pray, please. Father, God, um, thank you for your beautiful words. God, we just want to say thank you for your presence here today. And we come admitting our dependence upon you. God, we need you to help us. Um, Please open our ears and our hearts to see ourselves clearly 
and then remind us of the life of uh, the grace, the life-giving grace, God, that you have provided through us, through Jesus. And I just ask that you would deal with us personally today, each one of us. God, help us see sin that we need to confess to you. And then, God, lead that to change us. We need you to show us, teach us, unveil who you are to us. God, personally, um, I would just ask that you would help me take my mind off my own insecurities and my own anxieties. God, please point me to my Savior's performance and not mine. God, I just ask that I would be able to speak out of the good that is in my heart, God, the part that you've rescued and redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So when we hear these verses, I think our instinct is to look at the Bible a lot like an instruction manual. You know, so here are the, the three points to better Christian relationships. Um, I know for myself, when I, when I think that way, I look back over the past couple of weeks and um, I think about, okay, so how have I treated Holly? You know, have I been patient with my kids? And, um, you know, have I loved my gospel community? And and so what, what typically, uh, inevitably, sort of out of a sense of failure um, and regret, I begin to come up with some, you know, godly to-do list or, you know, uh, give myself a pep talk. I, um, you know, I think sometimes we really do believe that righteousness comes by um, some formula, I suppose. Um, but I'm here to say that none of this has anything to do with self-improvement, um, Self-improvement is never the goal here. Um, um, One of the important distinctions about uh, biblical counseling and maybe secular counseling, even some Christian counseling, is the goal is never self-improvement. The goal is worship. And so let me sort of explain what I mean by that. Um, Worship is what our hearts do naturally. You don't have to tell your heart to want something. There's a song out there that I've sort of recently learned. Yeah, it's probably been around for three years now. But it's called The Heart Wants What It's The Heart Wants What It Wants. I mean, how, how true is that right there? I mean, I mean, that's half the gospel right there. I mean, the bad half. But uh, but it's it's so true that 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 that's what we do. And so um, so if self-improvement is the goal, you know then everything that we do is going to be out of selfish gain and not for the benefit of another person. Um, Paul describes this uh, in verse 18 of, of the same chapter. He says, And they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Um, so um, I think of Jesus' words in Luke 6, where he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, So if our hearts don't change, then our words really don't change. And it's only through a growing awareness of our sin and God's mercy that we actually begin to worship something better. And that's what God has done through grace. And is this not what Paul was talking about or praying about in Ephesians 3? You know, that beautiful prayer that we've prayed as elders, as gospel community leaders. Um, That prayer doesn't say, get your act together. He prays that we would be able to comprehend the incomprehensible love of God in Christ. So this is our posture. 
Our posture is humility. Um, Paul talks about this right off the bat in Ephesians 4. He says that, um, um, that we should walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And he describes those with three beautiful words. Humility, gentleness, and patience. But what does that sound like? I think most of us would agree that our conversations just sort of skim over life and never really get to what's real. But when they do get real, and I'm just speaking from personal experience, maybe y'all can relate, we tend to do one of a couple of things. For me, I, I, I tend to sort of look to my own sense of what's right and wrong. Um, or I, I just give good common sense, you know, basic practical advice or something. And a real tendency of mine is to try to just fix the problem, you know, jump in and try to, try to fix it. Uh, but what, what's missing in all of those things? What, what's missing? Um, well, obviously the gospel is missing, but I'm going to um, say something else. I'm going to say that it's an unwillingness to really have a shared experience with somebody else. Um, when we're not willing to do that, we don't even, um, we don't listen. Um, so I, I started thinking of, of an example, um, and there are many, but this one came to, came to mind. And I think I've told this story before, too, to some of you all, but about four years ago, uh, we were um, in the middle of a gospel community um, uh, gathering, and uh, we were having a hard time, we being Holly and I. And uh, Holly was really struggling, and, uh, and uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, motherhood, uh, leading a gospel community, having it at our house once a week, sometimes more than that. And uh, by God's grace, she opened up in this meeting. And the, I mean, it just flowed. And she just said, I'm just not right. I am struggling. And uh, I feel like just a complete and utter failure. She said, I dread Sunday nights. She said this to our gospel community. And she said, I know that I don't love you guys the way I'm supposed to love you. And um, by God's providence, we had some special people there. Uh, the Rutledges, uh, some of you may have remembered them, but Celeste um, gave her a look of understanding. And she looked at her. And she said, I know exactly what that's like. I know that. I know that. Uh, and, and she said, in my struggle as a, as a wife, as a, as a mother, and as a wife, as a church planner... Um, I know what weakness and shame feels like. And she was so honest. And she said, in this moment right now, this is what Jesus came for, to save you in this moment. And she actually got out of her chair. She came over and she knelt down. And we just all gathered around Holly. And, um, and I remember Tommy prayed. And he prayed out of one of my favorite verses. I'm sure it's many of y'all's too. Matthew 11, verse 28. Um, Jesus' invitation. He said, uh, come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. My burden is easy and my yoke is light, or my yoke is light and my burden is easy. One of those. It was awesome. I've never seen a group probably sort of progress and more fruit from our group from that moment on. It was just an amazing, amazing time. So I, I think what's important is to sort of think about how we might have instinctively handled that really interesting moment. I don't know how else to call it that. 
Uh, I know for me that I look back on a time when Holly was struggling through some things. Um, I didn't know how to handle it, right? I mean, so I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm, the count, I'm the therapist. I'm the counselor, right? Well, my words were a lot like I described previously, but I, I think it's important that we think about what might we have said, and I think what we might have heard is something like, um, just pray for more strength, Holly. You know, just devote more time in your morning devotion. Um, or, we, or we might have heard, uh, oh, Holly, stop talking like that. You're, you're a good mom. Uh, we know you love your kids. We, we know. You're just having a bad day. Um, or they might have tried to just fix it and say, Holly, just, oh, just take a break. Don't even worry about it. Just, that's okay. You just go on and, and, and we'll take care of it. We'll meet somewhere else. I mean, do y'all hear the difference in a lot of those things? So you, you have humility and gentleness that says, I understand what you're going through because I struggle just like you. Let's, um, let's go to Jesus. And then arrogance might say, you're not really doing enough? Um, or try this a little bit harder. Something might work there. Or the problem solver may say, um, well, here, let me take care of it. Let me take care of it. All those things just mow right over the heart. All those things do. Um, I realize how scary this can be for some of us. Um, we actually talked about this in our gospel community a couple of weeks ago. It was when we were together with two, the Parsons and ours. And, um, and it's scary because, why, right? It, it, because you're known. We aren't really that interested in talking about where we struggle and you know, how, how we deal with our problems. Um, and so how meaningful and constructive can our words really be if we don't know each other? Um, so I, I want to mention this. Uh, I have a quote here. This person's name is Kim Ken, uh, Crandall. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She's a blogger, maybe an author. She has a website called A Beautiful Mess. Uh, and I just want to convey or show you this freedom from which she speaks from uh, on her own website for the whole world to see. This is from there. Shut up! How childish that sounds coming from a mother of four. Immature, cutting words pass through my lips, taking flight as they hit the air, piercing my eight-year-old's tender heart. Before I knew it, the words were gone, a vapor I could not grasp and stuff back in. The regret came fast and lingered through the evening. I'd done it again. The guilt surfaced quickly as I realized what I had just said, what relationship I had just wounded. I sank into the chair in the corner and began to preach to myself how very wrong I was. I proceeded to add up all the other harsh things that I had said like this. How does God put up with me? But God was kind not to... But God was kind not to leave me with those lies for long. He whispered his words of sweet grace into my ear. You are my beloved daughter. Not just when you are good, but at this very moment. This is what I was sent for. These very moments when your flesh has overcome you. This grace that you have found at the cross is yours. It is all yours. It is not just a saving grace. It's a living grace. It is a grace that counts you righteous. Believe that my grace is enough for you in this very moment and be free. 
He loved me into repentance and caused me to turn my little boy, caused me to run to my little boy and seek forgiveness. I mean, how transformational is it when we speak grace to people in their moments of failure? Um, I I think of Romans 5, 6 is one of my favorite verses. I have a lot of favorite verses. But it says, at at our weakest moment, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Um, We have to understand the gospel gives us this amazing gift. There are so many um, things that make me think of this. One is um, the book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. I think I probably talk about that book every time I'm up here. I know I did the last time. But uh, one of the things that uh, it says in there over and over again, it says stop running from God and run to Him instead. And so a couple of days ago, actually, I was reading through Psalms, and um, Psalm 68.2 says this, Trust in the Lord at all times and pour out your hearts to Him because God is a refuge for us. I mean, that is an invitation. Um, Only the cross makes what goes bad really good again. Um, So, I'm going to go on to a second point here. I wanted to talk about something that is uh, meaningful to me. It's what I do every day. I deal with people who suffer uh, with a variety of uh, emotional um, problems. And um, I think we can, I know we can all, at least I hope we can all relate to uh, this sense of failure and how sweet grace can taste in that moment. But, but what about problems we don't understand very well? You know, um, depression and grief and loss. And even though some of us have maybe experienced those things, um, we've all experienced loss in some way. Um, it's so individual and it's so unique. Um, and, and speaking grace uh, to a suffering person always means you're going to bring God into the picture and you're always going to, um, uh, you know, your posture will always be humility, patience, and gentleness. Um, but our words have to be used very carefully. How we approach people who are suffering is so important, especially with our words, because we don't want to undercut God's call to suffering people, which is, trust me. <laughs> and... Um, I have found that, that uh, shallow or forced, found personally, by the way, uh, that shallow or forced or pressured applications of the gospel to a suffering person can actually rob them of the comfort that it's intended to provide. Um, I could sit up here and probably give you my top five things not to say to a, to a person who's suffering, but I have one. And I'm just going to say it. I've already said it because I don't know. People may have heard it. You may have said it. I've probably said it. But there's this this thing out there. Has anybody ever heard something like this? You're too blessed to be depressed. Okay. Has anybody said that? I'm kidding. I've said it. But but, uh, there's something um, we need to talk about when we consider something like that. Um, And I'll just say this. As somebody that works with uh, depressed people, Every day, I, I can't really think of something more unhelpful, unloving, and frankly, unbiblical thing to say to somebody who's suffering. Um, when somebody is suffering um, from depression or from a lot of things, they think God has completely abandoned them. All right? 
I mean, out of the picture, maybe on the periphery, just totally distant or irrelevant. And, and worse yet, they think that God actually is disappointed because they're going through this. Um, so what develops is a false narrative. Uh, and uh, shame just starts to compound shame. Um, and feelings totally trump faith. God gets smaller and smaller. Um, and in this place, there's no mercy, there's no redemption, there's no grace, and there's no hope. This is an epidemic that I see every day. And um, it's not easy. It's certainly not easy. Um, you know, we live in the South, and, um, you know, so everybody that comes to me has experienced uh, some form of, you know, organized religion or something like that. So if, if God gets brought up, I have to be so very careful um, about how I use my words. And most of the time I've learned from my mistakes. Um, but by God's grace, uh, there's a man who wrote a really wonderful book. His name is Zach Eswine. He's, um, I think, out of St. Louis. And he wrote a book uh, called Spurgeon's Sorrows. And um, I've given it to people that I've worked with, and I don't think that I've ever had a feedback like I've, I had like six or seven copies. I gave it to people, and people just came back just going. I've never had anybody say things like that. I'm going to take a, just a snippet of what he says in his book. Contrary, contrary to those who tell us that we do not have enough faith or that we are condemned because of our inability to smile more, Depression is no index of declining grace. It is Christ and not the absence of depression that saves us. So we declare this truth. Our sense of God's absence does not mean that he is so. Though our bodily gloom allows us no feeling of his tender touch, he holds on to us still. Our feelings of him do not save us. He does. Aren't those words of grace? Aren't those real words of hope to real people? Um, so through reading the Bible and through an understanding of the Bible, we, be, we begin to know that our sorrow actually has, takes place in a larger story about God. Um, and it's never mind over matter. It's always God over matter. Uh, and what starts... Uh, and, we want, and what we want to do in our words is convey that he's intimately involved in our pain, bringing us back to a place where we might not have known the depths of his love and his comfort. So consider how this radically changes the way that we talk to one another who are going through hard times. The first thing I would just say, don't try to come in and fix it. <laughs> um, you're not the Savior, nor are they theirs. Be present. And be willing to listen. Um, one of my favorite components of verse 29 says this. As it fits the occasion. I love that part. Because it means that our words are meant to be timely. Um, one of my uh, favorite verses that I love about this. It says it perfectly. Uh, is Proverbs 18.13. It says, If anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So building up and speaking grace to a sufferer may be that you're just willing to listen at that moment. Um, 
and when there's and willing to walk with them and then when there's heavy lifting to do you may be able to help them in some way um there's something called points of contact it's a it's a phrase it's not any it's not rocket science necessarily but it's something that david powelson the director of ccef talks about when you're dealing with a depressed person it's you know there are these moments because we are all created in god's image where we are all looking for something we're all searching and in our suffering we're certainly such doing that and so listen for points of contact and when you feel like that might be there there are so many beautiful words that you can speak psalms is absolutely the treasure trove of this my favorite psalm it's not my favorite psalm but it's definitely one of them psalm 34 17 says God is near the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Um, So here's my point. Here's my point for people who are suffering, how we can use our words. Our words are meant to be invitations and bridges to empathy and a shared understanding. Um, What you're wanting to do is to help people take their eyes toward God. Right. Um, so here are my final thoughts. Um, I think it makes perfect sense that Paul used forgiveness as a way to close out Ephesians four. I mean that is just perfect. I mean everybody talks about the bad chapter break, you know, you know between four and five, but it it's perfect, I think, because it talks about. This and that is, is that if there's one thing I can guarantee everybody here today about your ability to speak these words, I will tell you this you're going to fail at it at some point. Um, and wouldn't it be that uh, uh, the weeks leading up to this, my words were about as far from gracious as you could possibly imagine? There was one night um, I got onto hope. I got onto hope uh, for something, and my words were so harsh. And, um, and they were hurtful. And um, much like Kim Kendrall, I, uh, I sat there and I just felt overwhelmed by my idols of comfort and control. And it seemed completely insurmountable, but where, uh, where sin increased, grace abound all the more. And he in that moment told me that he loved me. And that he gave his son for me. And I went into Hope's room. And I said, Daddy blew it. And I said, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I said, would you please forgive me? And in that moment, we both realized how much we needed Jesus. And we had a shared experience right there. For mercy and grace. Let me pray. God, thank you for your extravagant grace that you have lavished upon us. God, I pray that we would never get to the place where we feel like we know how to do relationships perfectly. I pray that we would embrace our neediness and run to you for rescue. God, you have not called us to get our act together. You have called us to trust in your love, the love that you provided at the cross. For in every way that we have failed to love one another, you have paid for it by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I pray that that love compels us to live as your church and to love one another the way you've called us to.
In Jesus' name, amen.